Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for CEO Exclusive, brought to you by Anona Enterprises. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to CEO Exclusive, where we get emerging trends from CEOs and their most trusted advisors. On today's show, we have Brooks Robinson and Joe Rieger of Springbot, CEO and CTO and co-founders. Welcome, guys. Thanks for having us. Great yeah. to be here. We always start the show by asking our guests, what are the trends in your industry or area of expertise that you think other middle market CEOs need to know? So I'll toss that over to you. There's lots of great things going on in e-commerce. You know, uh, Springbot helps small, medium online retailers grow the revenue by really leveraging all the data they have on their customers or on their products and the purchases. And so what we're seeing is a really interesting trend is a real growth within mobile commerce. So the, the amount of traffic that is growing coming from tablets or from phones, smartphones, is, is really growing. And actually, the challenge over the past few years is that the conversion rate, so the percentage of people that actually buy online via a phone, a mobile phone or a smartphone, is increasing, but it's always been lower than through a desktop. And so we're starting to watch that trend where we're actually helping many stores sell more through mobile devices. Mm-hmm. And another really interesting trend is social commerce. So people actually buying and getting advertisement through social platforms like Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Instagram. Um, For instance, we just launched an Instagram feature that really helps online retailers sell through Instagram. And it's just amazing, especially in the fashion space. Our fashion retailers are really, really leveraging Instagram to grow the revenue. Mm -hmm. I think most everybody is probably very familiar in terms of e-commerce with Amazon. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know what the adoption for Amazon is, but just everybody's bought something from Amazon. Paint a picture for us of what a small or medium-sized uh, retailer would look like online. Yeah, well, it's amazing. I think Joe will, will add in here, um, there are 500,000 small, medium e-commerce retailers in the United States. Where everyone knows of Amazon, but there's this growing percentage of e-commerce is coming from these smaller retailers that are selling everything from very cool skateboards and preppy clothes to fire extinguishers and gold online. So it's, it's amazing to see how passionate these retailers are about their products. I often think that while Amazon has a great um, logistics, right? They have great shipping, obviously with Prime. But when you actually look at the product content that comes from these smaller e-commerce stores, they're so passionate about their products and it really comes through with that buying experience. And the content on their sites is just is just amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there there really is this big fragmentation in the entire space, and we all experience it day to day. We have thousands of options, right? So you don't just have jeans anymore. You have blue jeans and red jeans and purple jeans, and you have jeans with red stitching and blue stitching and pink stitching. And for big companies, that's a little bit threatening, right? So if you're a big box retailer, you can't possibly put all these products on the shelves. You just don't have enough physical space. For smaller to medium-sized e-commerce stores, this creates a huge opportunity, right? So you can create a niche for yourself around a certain material, a type of leather like Horween leather or a certain type of jeans. And you can really compete against the big guys on that front by being very good uh, at targeting your products. And this is kind of what, what we see day to day with all of our passionate entrepreneurs as they come into uh, working with Springbot. They bring that passion and they really want to compete with the big guys and do something special for consumers out there. Mm-hmm. And what does competing with the big buy, big guys really mean, right? Because a small retailer is not going to be able to 
really compete against Amazon, or maybe you're going to tell me that they can. Well, I think we think they can. I think the biggest challenge that they have is the investment that they can make in technology is generally lower than a bigger uh, retailer, right? So whether it's access to data or data technologies that help them understand who's buying, what are they buying? What are the things that are working and not working with their marketing? There's something called marketing attribution, right? So for every dollar of marketing that you spend, how much revenue do you get? And what are the channels by which you're getting that revenue? Is it coming through email marketing or online advertising? You can imagine if you're a small retailer, how do you understand all those different channels and, and where that revenue is coming from? That's what the big guys do really, really well, right? They have data scientists, they have social media experts, they have people that are experts in email marketing and product content. If you're a small retailer with whether it's two or three people or up to 20 or 30 people, some of our customers have, have hundreds of people, but the, the challenge you have is you don't have those experts or the ability to really invest in that technology. And our goal is to go and let's take what big businesses are doing and make it simple and affordable for small retailers. So if you're the CEO of a small retailer and you're listening to the show, how do they get started in thinking about this space, given that they don't have the billions of dollars to invest like Amazon? Yeah, um, it's a great question. So I try. One of the things that um, that they do is they focus on the thing that they're passionate about. So they're passionate about that one product that they're trying to sell online or the set of products that they're trying online. And they get to know their market. And at that point, they get a little bit um, stuck, if you will. So they see all these signals coming in from their market. Say so they see a little bit of a signal on Facebook, a little bit of a signal on Pinterest, a little bit of a signal from email. And they start to beg the question, how do I make sense of all this? They do a little bit of research online and they find a company like Springbot. They reach out to us and we give them a demo and explain to them how we can make sense of all of the data inputs that they are experiencing. And we bring them to the table, start to make sense of it, and then they can start to grow into this bigger e-commerce space, if you will. And what is it that you're looking at? Like, what are the actual things that you're looking at when you're analyzing the data? We bring in a ton of data. So um, we bring in purchases. We bring in um, customer data. We bring in product data. We bring in social signals. So things like how many retweets does a store get? Which products are those retweets related to? Uh, We bring in email activity. So things like which emails get opened and which emails don't. And as you can imagine, as I'm describing all this, that's a lot of different signals, a lot of different data that's inbound to you as a store owner. And if you're passionate about genes, that's where you want to spend your time. Uh, and yet all this data is flowing in. And so what we try to do is synthesize that data and tell the story of what's really happening with your market so that you can make great decisions on how to grow, how to continue to uh, expand your business. Hmm. And you mentioned a couple trends, mobile and social. Right. Absolutely. And as people begin to interact more um, on mobile platforms than on their desktops, do you have a sense of how much what the spread is or the split is between online um, per- for online purchases, mobile versus kind of traditional? Yeah. I mean, that's one of the luxuries we have is that we're tracking everything. Yeah. Right? You so have we have data. a really good sense, you know, with uh, about a thousand retailers on our platform now across a whole bunch of different verticals, whether it's fashion to, you know, you, you name a product, we probably have someone on our platform that's selling it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what we've seen is that about 30% of traffic going to e-commerce stores is coming from mobile devices. The challenge is that only 15% of purchases are coming from mobile devices, right? So there's 
Now that has been increasing and that gap between mobile and desktop is closing. Um, one of our recent features is, I think is really interesting is an Instagram mobile storefront. So we can actually help an e-commerce store sell through Instagram. Instagram's mostly used through mobile devices. But in many cases, you're, you know, you're, you're on Marta or you're in a, the, a passenger seat of a car, right? And you're doing your, your shopping, you say, I'm gonna buy when I get home. Well, what our mobile storefront does is allows you to remind me later to buy this product. So you may be doing your shopping on the mobile device, but then the actual purchase itself happens on a desktop. And understanding how that consumer wants to buy in that kind of way is something that I think we're seeing many retailers do. The challenge is if you're a small retailer, how do you build that technology that enables that? Well, that's really where I think we come along, which is, you know, we, our team, and now we're about 60 folks here in Atlanta. Um, our team wakes up kind of every morning thinking, how can we help a small retailer leverage this technology, right? How do we, how do we think about Instagram and what's the consumer uh, buying behavior? What's the path to purchase for these, these consumers? And think about, okay, what technology can we use to help these retailers? Yeah, I think one of the things that um, small stores struggle with is where to invest their time. Their time is one of the most valuable things they have. If you look at a path to purchase, so from the first time I hear about a product to the final time where I put down my credit card, there are a lot of different things involved, a, a lot of different types of media, everything from Facebook and Twitter and Pinterest and email. And so as a store owner, you have to figure out, do I spend more time crafting my email or do I spend more time creating tweets? Do I um, update my product content on my store? And so what you have to do and what the big guys do very well is they figure out how important is each piece of the path to purchase? Um, but as Brooks mentioned, it's very difficult to do that if you don't have technology in place to track those pieces and give you clear reporting. Imagine there's, there's something called um, partial attribution and there's something called last click attribution. So last click attribution is the last click that the consumer made, whether that's a Facebook post or a tweet or an email, that's what gets credit for the revenue, right? So if you were shopping for a blazer, right? And you looked at the Facebook post, then the tweet, and then got an email with a promotion and you clicked on that and bought, then we're going to give credit to that email. That's what people do is last click attribution, which is the simplest, still very hard to actually figure that out, but it's the simplest one to do. But the really important part is all that partial attribution, that tweet and that Facebook post influenced your buying decision, right? So imagine you're a small retailer struggling just with understanding where the traffic's coming in, not just where the purchase is coming in, not just understanding that it's that last click, but all that partial, that path to purchase, those partial attribution, that's really where the magic happens underlying the technology. Now, early on, we, uh, as we were going through a, a great program here at Georgia Tech called Flashpoint, mm -hmm. which really helps you understand the customer discovery process. What, what do small retailers really want and need from a marketing perspective? And we had this really great, uh, great prospect, great uh, retailer say to us, this is really, really hard. There's so much math to be done. There's just so much work to do. I wish I had a bunch of robots that could do this for me. <laughs> and I looked at Joe and I said, this is marketing robotics, right? This is this idea mm -hmm. of leveraging technology and data, right? Having a bunch of software robots running around doing this math for folks, automating the marketing. Because once you actually understand what's working and what's not from your marketing channels, then the thing is, well, what do I do next? And that's this something we call predictive analytics. That's the ability to say, based on your data and your store and what we're seeing from your consumers and your traffic, here's the next, next best marketing action to take. That, as Joe said, many of these retailers get stuck. Well, we have to unstick them, right? And that, this idea of here are three recommendations based on your data. And then once I make a recommendation, it might be send an email campaign to 
men over 40 that bought golf shoes from you, right? That's a pretty segmented category mm -hmm. that you as a retailer would have a hard time figuring out how do I actually get that data? And then automating that email campaign and then automating the tracking of that. All of that is what our platform does. Just for, you know, data's, uh, the sake of data, how many touch points are you finding, you know, in that partial attribution? In general, how long is it taking for people to get to the final click where people buy? I think we'll see three or four different pieces. I mean, it's, it's really interesting where you'll, I mean, more and more now, the social touch, touch points, right? Whether it's Twitter or, or Facebook or, or Instagram, someone will come to the site and then there's something called retargeting. And that's where you've come to the site, you've looked at the blue shirt, and then you go to the weather channel and lo and behold, there's the blue shirt, right? And maybe another, maybe the, the pants that go with the blue shirt. That's something called retargeting. That's actually working quite well because it's actually helping a smaller retailer cast a bigger shadow, right? They're used to Nordstrom's and Nike being able to have that kind of technology. That's something that we enable these smaller retailers with. Yeah, and it, it takes a lot of these touch points, the three or four that Brooks mentioned, because it takes a while for a new brand, a new store to build some rapport and trust with the consumer. You know, you hear about something on uh, Twitter from your friends and you check it out and, um, it takes you a moment to, to believe, is, is this a real store? Is this someone who is leading the space? And so you might go out and Google other stores like it. Um, then another friend of yours on Facebook might mention them. And now you have two votes of confidence from your personal network. Um, then you receive an email from them. And it, it builds this picture of an ongoing entity that's selling cool products that you want that's not going to uh, scam you or otherwise uh, sell you something that, uh, that isn't a good product. And it takes a little bit of time because we have all these options these days for a retailer to build that, that trust and rapport. Now, email marketing, we, Joe touched on that. that. That is still by far one of the best channels. Right? Really? Right. And, it, and you know, everyone kind of has that really, right? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of it is... I mean, I'll, I ignore a lot of the email newsletters. You do. And I think the challenge is... Um, I'm sorry. Yeah. The well, before, all those people were sending. I'm sorry. It is not time to read them. Well, the the thing is that if the content is good, people read them. Mm -hmm. If the content is good, people pass them on, right? And so that's something we're always talking to our retailers about. Is you know you've got to create good content, and it has to be kind of the the right content to the right people. So this real this idea of personalization. You know, if if you're a a retailer, don't send me information about women's clothing, right? Um, send me information about that that fits my demographic. That's something, or or my buying behavior. Uh, we've launched something recently that really it's a, a segmentation feature of our platform. That's it's called RFM, which stands for recency, frequency, and monetary value. So what that means is now a retailer can segment and do personalized emails to people that have recently bought, or buy frequently, or buy a certain dollar amount. So you can treat your VIP customers different than, than maybe someone that buys from you just once a year. Or maybe that person that buys once a year, but is repetitive in how they buy. Now you understand that and you can market to them differently. And I think if you're getting those emails that are relevant to you and have, they have great content, like great imagery, there's an offer, the offer's compelling. Those are the ones that people respond to. And I, I, it's amazing. I, I know a lot of our retailers almost have a cult following. People want to see the latest fashion line that they have. or They want to they hear the, the latest content, which sometimes can be funny. Sometimes it can be that can be a learning session through the, through the content. It's, uh, I mean, m many of our retailers do a really good job and that's how they differentiate versus the big guys. Yeah, and what's interesting is watching them go from, as they come into Springbot, they're sending kind of mass mailings to everybody on their list 
And much of their list is reacting just as you are. They're, they're plunking them into the spam folder and ignoring them from there forward. But the moment they go to targeted messaging that really connects with them, with their market, people start consuming these emails ravenously. And so what we're seeing is stores will, will start out sending one email a month, and then they'll go to one a week, one a day. We're even seeing now two or three a day, and consumers are loving it because the retailer is providing value. They're, you know, I always go back to the jeans example, but they're sharing behind the scenes how the fabric is being made and how the designer decided to create the cut and create the rivets. And that's intriguing. If you love jeans and you're all about jeans, you actually want that content in your inbox. And so what most people do, most consumers do, is they filter out 95% of the junk mail out there. But then those 5% of retailers that they love and trust, they want more and more content. And if you don't have the targeting to really target the message, to break down between the different groups in your audience, then uh, then you're going to get thrown into the spam folder. Now, just on the, the one a day, we're not going to send you one a day. <laughs> uh, but what would they yeah. do is they send yeah. one a day, but not to everyone on their list. Now they get more specific in terms of who they're going to send their emails to. Yeah. And then the, the, there's a really interesting thing around automation of these emails. Uh, if you go back two or three years ago, I would talk to many of our retail customers and they would say, um, yeah, I mean, every Sunday night I go and sit down and I email all the customers that bought from me last week. Or I'd sit down Saturday mornings and I'd write all the emails to people that bought from me exactly a year ago, my anniversary. Why don't we automate that? Let's get those software robots that I talked about go in and do that math and figure, okay, who who bought a year ago? Let's remind them to come back, right? Mm -hmm. Or you know, thank them, welcome them, have them come on online and rate the product. Let's mm -hmm. get them on social and 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 retweet or do a Facebook post about the product. Those are the kind of things that let's automate those things so that a retailer can then focus more on what products they want to sell and then write rich content on their site or or in their marketing campaigns. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about social. So in its, you know, kind of simplest form, people will go onto some sort of social media and then they'll be prompted to go to a, a retailer. How does that actually work? Because the interaction on social media is between the people. Are you advertising to them in Facebook and then they'll go? Well, on Instagram, you can have, you have your product feed, right? And mm -hmm. so people are sharing or they are, um, you know, scrolling through the latest fashion line. And you know, Instagram is such a great one now because it's just so rich with imagery. And so that's why it's so great with fashion. And you'll see a, a lot of sharing happen where, hey, this is a really cool product. And, it, and we saw that with Pinterest as well. I think uh, what we're seeing now is that Instagram definitely is, is the hotter platform right now. Um, I know there's a lot of investment coming in the in Pinterest from a social commerce standpoint, the ability to to buy right from within Pinterest. So interesting that you see a shirt within Pinterest and you want to buy right now. We call it the buy now button. And that will uh, that, that can really change the game. Inst Instagram's not there from that perspective. And so I think that could be a, a leg up for, for Pinterest. But right now, if you think about the, the amount of traffic that we're seeing in, from, that are coming from Instagram to e-commerce e stores is, is growing quite, quite rapidly. And so we, we're definitely been investing a lot in trying to help our retailers leverage Instagram. The, the biggest challenge is with Instagram, if you're not using a service like Springbot, is that you don't really know how much revenue you're getting from Instagram. Mm. Um, there's not there's not a really easy way to track that revenue. And that's something that we've we've uh, tackled for them. Yeah, it, social does have to be social. It has to be conversational between the, the the participants on each channel. Kind of think of a retailer as planting a seed of a conversation, and if they plant the seed well, that conversation becomes productive. It helps the 
the, the people who are talking have a good conversation. And one of the byproducts is that the, um, the brand will get some benefit. People will kind of trickle out of that conversation over to the store, check it out, and um, start that, that walk towards uh, the path to, uh, to purchase. What stores don't want to do is be overly promotional, where every message is 28% off today, buy now, buy now, buy now. That becomes just noise and people will unfollow. Hmm. So let's turn the conversation a little bit to, to your working together. How did you meet each other and how did you start this business? Yeah, I mean, it goes back uh, almost four years ago that we started Springbot. Um, prior to Springbot, I had the fortune of uh, being a co-founder of a company called CBion, which was a telecom and IT services company founded here in Atlanta. This is a little Atlanta. itty-bitty company. And we, uh, we, had a, we had a fun fun <laughs> ride with that. We started that in late 99, and uh, you know we took that public in 2005. And, and through that process, really learned a lot about the small business market, really understanding how they really needed help getting access to those big business technologies, but they had to make them simple and affordable for them. Through, I guess, around 2010, 2011, um, decided it's time to do another startup. And so I, I went down to Georgia Tech and uh, I was fortunate they gave me an opportunity to be an entrepreneur in residence, which really meant I got a, they gave me an office and I got to hang out with really cool startups and help them and, and guide them. And knowing that I really want to do another one and, and basically walking the halls, um, I was introduced to Joe by a good friend of mine. And we started talking about my passion was you know, helping small businesses. I've, that's something I've always done throughout my career. Mm-hmm leveraging something called big data that was really hot um, and still is, but that was a big buzzword back, you know, four or five years ago. And then marketing technology. So thinking e-commerce, small business was a circle, big data, and then marketing tech. Where those three things overlapped, I actually had it on my whiteboard. I said, that's what I want to work on. And Joe and I sat down and he said, I want to work on the same thing. So we, we hadn't worked together before. And uh, we thought, okay, what I do know is that I like to work with people that I like and trust. The way that you build up that is you have to go do something together, go do a project together. Very fortunately, there was a program that was launching at Georgia Tech called Flashpoint. You mentioned that, yeah. Which is uh, was really a chance for Joe and I for the first time to work together, which is really, it's a very interesting program. They basically, each week you go and interview some number of customers and you start off with maybe, and more customers are more prospects for your, for your idea that you have. And you go off and it starts with doing 20. And by the time, you know, you're through the program, which is about, what, a 10-week program I think we went through? Yep. It felt like maybe a little longer than that. It felt like a 10-month program. But because uh, it's very rigorous, right? You're going and interviewing these people. And then you each week you get up in front of the entire group. And there was, what, maybe 15 companies going through it with us. Mm-hmm. Every company would get up and say, what did you learn? What was your hypothesis that you were testing? What did you learn from talking to, in our case, it was a bunch of e-commerce stores? That cadence of every week needing to get up on stage essentially and talk about what you learned um, what you, and what you're gonna learn next week, I think was was great for Joe and I that, it, as I said, it created that cadence and that working relationship that we said, you know, we can do this. We can go, one, we have a good idea. We've, we've validated that the market needs a platform that can help e-commerce retailers. You know, we made it through that, that program, which is very rigorous. Um, through that program, we raised uh, a seed round of capital, started the business and put the business down at Georgia Tech um, in the incubator there called the ATDC mm-hmm. and uh, started out with the two of us. And we recently, we graduated from the ATDC, I guess, early 2015 with about 25 people. And then over the past year, we've doubled and we're at 60 people now in a brand new office in Midtown Atlanta and Colony Square, which we're excited about all the changes going on at Colony Square. Mm-hmm. So. 
And uh, how big was Sea Beyond when you when you took it public? Um, well, it was 2005. We were probably around a thousand people, and um, over the course, we got to about 2,000 people with about 20 cities around the country. Mm. And do you want to do it again with uh, with Springbot? Yeah, I think we're having. I mean, I think that what's interesting today is that you know, with technology is different today than it was 15 years ago. Certainly. Goes without saying, right? Whether it's cloud computing, I mean, it's amazing to me what we've built at Springbot and the the access to technology that we have that we didn't have back at, at CBN. They just the ability to, your dollar goes a lot further on the technology side than it, than it used to. We, you know, we're not buying racks and racks of servers. We're leveraging cloud computing infrastructure, which is just amazing and allows for us to grow even faster. And then I think that, you know, we're, we're today we're selling to companies all around the world. And so our team, we don't have to have 20 offices around the country. We can all be in Atlanta, and that really affords us a, a lot of efficiencies in the business. How do you go about hiring so many people so quickly? Well, I think it starts with, and uh, to Joe chime in here. I mean, Joe's a, a great recruiter, great kind of tie to our culture. Mm. But I think the key thing is having that foundation of culture, right? I think it starts with making sure that people feel comfortable in the location of your office, right? And, and having a place that people walk in and go like, I want to be here. Even before they meet anyone, they kind of, they walk in and say, there's an energy, there's a vibe that happens. And I think that's something we've, that's been very important to us that, you know, it's hard when you only have a thousand square feet at a technology incubator four years ago to say to someone, this is going to be huge. And this is going to be an exciting <laughs> place to be. Now, you know, you walk into our, our office and it's shiny and new and there's a ping pong table and there's like a community room and there's a, you know, there's definitely an energy that comes with, with it. So I think that definitely helps us today. Um, and then it's important that you really set up a an infrastructure from an interviewing perspective. I think that's a, I think a very important piece to watch is we, when you come in to, to interview at Springbot, you're not just being interviewed on, can you do the job, but do you fit in the organization? And everyone that's interviewing has a purpose for why they're, they're interviewing you. That's, I think that's an important element where you have to pass all of those tests. Um, you, you have to pass the, you know, the, the fit test. And if, if that's, uh, if that's not the case, um, you're probably not going to make it past mm -hmm. the process. And I think that's an important one for us that yeah, I think uh, we, we were named one of the best places to work in Atlanta, which we're really proud of. And then um, I think uh, that this week, this week we were named uh, one of the top 10 innovation companies in Georgia. And congratulations, those, those are the kind of things that I think are important to us, especially the best places to work with the innovation one that goes without saying that's great that we're investing and that we're recognized in terms of helping our customers. But the best places to work one is, is important to me, you know, to, to grow from 25 or 30 people to 60, and then kind of we're planning to double again over the next year or so. You, you know, you have to have a great place for people to work. Yeah. And you also have to carry that message out into the community. So going to all the meetups and events and supporting the community. So we do a lot of uh, buying beer and pizza for meetup groups, developer groups, if you will. And then we try to eschew the, the typical, usually when you sponsor an event, you get a few minutes up in front of the group and what most folks will usually say is, we're hiring and we want you to come work with us and whatnot. What we usually do is try to share a little bit about what we're working on instead. Um, this is what we're working on. These are the challenges we're facing and we kind of need your help. And so we use the opportunity and the venue to show folks that we want to bring people into what we're doing. We, we show them our enthusiasm for it. And uh, over the course of years, that gets people familiar with who you are and brings them into what you do. I was going to say another key element for me is that everyone that, that joins Springbot is an entrepreneur. 
and everyone that joins Springbok becomes an owner in the business. And that, that's an important piece for me is I, there's two things I always talk about with folks in the interview process is come work at Springbot, not just because you want to be an employee, but because you want to be an entrepreneur. And that, that, that means understanding what it means to really grow a business, building culture, building product, um, taking care of customers, but being an owner in the business. So that, that truly means everyone in our business has equity in our business. And then I was going to, the last one is being a citizen. You know, I always talk about, don't just be a taxpayer, be a citizen. Taxpayer, I mean, obviously everyone needs to pay their taxes, right? <laughs> but being a citizen is me getting involved, not just being involved with and engaged at Springbot, but being engaged in the community. Now, we, I could talk for ages about, you know, being involved in the community and nonprofits that we work with. And uh, it's, you know, or whether it's organizations like Kate's Club or Technology Association of Georgia, or, you know, Joe last night spoke at another, at a Flashpoint, he's an alumni now of a Flashpoint. So we go back and we help those, uh, those startups. And Joe was on a panel last night helping out. Yeah. So, Joe, tell us a little bit about how you'd characterize the culture. So I think everybody who comes to Springbot uh, wants to build something great, wants to contribute and be on the sharp end of the stick. In other words, they don't want to hide in a cube somewhere. They don't want to have four backup processes uh, in case they fail. They, they want to bring something unique and special. And so then that's part of the, uh, the interview and the vetting process is we get to that core motivation of what are you trying to do in life? Everybody at Springbot wants to have an impact using technology, have an impact on society, on culture, on humanity. Once folks realize that, and once you bring a lot of really smart folks together, 60 folks at this point who are really smart, really motivated to use technology, um, a lot of the culture bubbles up from there. So what you see is passion for customer stories. So things like, hey, we had this customer who was um, trying to sell a weird new thing, and they were struggling with it. They applied Springbot's analytics, and now they're growing. They hired their first employee, for example. We celebrate these things. So as we do morning huddles in the development group, we get together every morning at 10 a.m., and we talk about what, what happened yesterday. And those stories are, are customer-facing. They're, they're, they're kind of sharing in that excitement um, from customers. Um, there's a lot of um, kind of ownership within Springbot. So Brooks mentioned everybody's a, an owner of Springbot. And what that means for, for us, one of the, the most powerful things there, is, I mean, I make bad decisions all the time. And so what I love is that because everyone's an owner, they'll raise their hand, right? And they'll say, Joe, that's a bad decision. And you can kind of revisit it as a group and say, yeah, let's, let's talk through that. Uh, and that's important, that, that kind of ability for everybody to, uh, to contribute to the ideation that's going on. One of the things that I, I think is interesting, it sounds like you have a very democratic uh, work environment, but most businesses, in order to be able to make decisions and move forward, have to have some element of bene benevolent dictatorship. So how do you manage? Because you can't have everybody yeah. raising their hand and saying we disagree all the time. Or if you have decisions that may be controversial or difficult, you know, you just got to make the call. How does that work? Yeah, I mean, I think it's open communication. So there's there's no doubt decisions get made. So it, this is, you know, sometimes I call it a failed dictatorship, right? It's, <laughs> it's um, there's a, there's an element of this, which is, you know, we want people to have a voice. Um, we want people to fail fast, right? So it's not hide things. If something's not working, let's talk about it. I think let's make decisions as quickly as possible. And I, I think that, you know, we have very few walls in the company, right? There's um, a lot of communication. There's a lot of flybys. There's, you know, uh, from time to time, I almost feel like there's too many meetings sometimes. So we're always trying to like, let's make sure we're being purposeful. Um, I think with a an organization that is, as young as we are from, a, you know, we've been around for three now coming on four years. Um, there's a, an opportunity 
earlier stage companies generally have that that buzz and excitement around them, but you're never really sure what they're doing. I, what I do know is that everyone at Springbot is very purposeful. Like people that are here, it, they, we definitely have fun. It's um, you know, there's definitely a lot of energy in the office. You you know, there's other people playing, playing ping pong, or maybe there, you know, there's a you know, we're, we've got a great St. Patty's Day coming up. I'm certain <laughs> of that. Um, so those are the kind of fun things. But everyone there, regardless of how long they've been there, um, really thinks about okay, this is purposeful. Our goal here is. And we have one of our values that I love is that turn customers into fans. So it's not just about, you know, the customer's right. We actually had an article on that recently. Yeah. Yeah. So customers into fans is huge for me. The the other one is celebrate what makes us unique. That's an interesting one. And maybe that's my Canadian heritage where, you know, I believe that there's a a multicultural aspect to everything that we should do as as, as a Canadian. So I really love that, that people bring something unique to the office. So there's not just a melting pot at Springbot. You know, oh, there's a Springbot person. It's like, you have this idea where, you know, you get to talk about whatever it is that that you're passionate about, and there really should be no judging. And that you bring your unique perspective. Another big one for me is celebrate the journey as a team. We rarely, other than we have a great award, which we call the Spring Into Action Award, which is um, nominated by the rest of your peers um, that you upheld one of the Springbot values, whether it was taking care of a customer or you know, celebrating uniqueness or, um, you know, wh- whatever it might be, delivering on a promise. That's, that's a big one for us. Those are the really only times where we celebrate some individual doing something. If everything else is team-based, whether that's our compensation model or it's how we recognize on our, in our quarterly meetings, we always talk about a rally cry around what did we do as a team? And I think that, I think, allows people to never feel like, well, I'm winning or I'm losing. It's, it, you know, kind of, we're, we're kind of going through this journey together as a team. Yeah. Once you have alignment on what you're trying to accomplish, so help these small to medium-sized businesses grow, you need to innovate. And innovation is really hard to do, right? You don't know where that spark is going to come from, where the next idea, the next innovation is is going to come from. So what you can do is you can put together a whole bunch of really smart people who come from very different backgrounds. So to Brooks's point, kind of celebrate our uniqueness. From different backgrounds, we have folks who were previously musicians. We have folks who, uh, we have one gentleman who ran the... um, uh, the biggest sci-fi podcast out there for years. We have folks who are athletes, you know, bringing in all that history, all that um, uh, life experience into, in my case, the software development world um, is important. It, it helps you find that unique innovation that comes next. Now, you know, it, it sounds like, wow, this is a great place to work. Now it's hard, right? I mean, we're building a business from nothing. When we, you know, when Joe and I first started, it, there was, Two of us and a table. That was pretty much it. And and whether you're joining today or you joined us two years ago, it's hard. I mean, we're, people on our team work very, very, very hard. I think what drives them is that touch point we have for the customers. I mean, what's great about working with small and medium businesses is you're actually work. You, you can actually, you know, talk to the people that run. The I business, know. I love it. Right. They. See, I mean, they, they. You can almost see that they're sitting around their kitchen table at night thinking about how this business is impacting someone's family, mm-hmm. right? We have many great, we have great stories around people starting an e-commerce store. We work with them. They grow into a, a big business and now they can send off. We have a great example of one that can now send their daughter off to go to school, school in Australia. And they're so proud of that. And our team's going, we help them do that. That's something when you sell to large enterprises, that's, that's rewarding as well, but you're not making that same personal connection to the customer that I think is what really drives, like when, when something's not working for one of our customers, we take that personally because we know that it's actually another person on the end of the, of the phone or on the email that we're trying to help them with it because it's actually their business. And that, 
that really, I think that I know that drives a lot, whether it's our sales team or our customer success team or, or our development team, when they're thinking about, I'm building this feature and it's going to help Matt with his business. Yeah. Right? And I love that too. I mean, it's part of the reason why I'm, I'm in this space is be able to see the human impact of the work that you do is just incredibly rewarding. So I think of all of these things from the standpoint of strategy, because that's, that's my training and that's what I do. I'm a strategist. And I'm wondering how do how does all of this work that you do fit into the overall plans, strategy, business plan for some of these small businesses that you're working for? Do, do they even have a business plan? Because often companies don't. Well, you know, it's, it's hard because I think you're right. Most don't. They're just grinding. going as fast as they they're can. Grinding. They're grinding. They're hustling. They're, but, but I do think that the, it's either in their head and many of them do, do write it down. It's not in the same corporate strategy that maybe you, you're used to. Or if I go back, I was a strategist for Deloitte Consulting yeah. way back. And those were you'd build the 40-page PowerPoint decks and no one ever read them. But right, that, exactly. That's a whole different problem. But um, <laughs> So I don't think they're doing that aspect of it, but they are thinking about, okay, where do I take my business next? And I think I view that we're a critical piece of that because understanding where you should put your next dollar of marketing is a key part of your strategy. Understanding what products are selling, which ones aren't. I mean, many of our customers will look, look at our platform or our dashboard and be able to see in certain product categories, they have a higher conversion rate. So in a product category that's maybe men's pants, they're closing at five or 6% conversion rate, which is actually pretty good. But then in maybe you know men's hats, it's 1%. Hmm, what's going on there? Is it a content problem? Is it a product problem? Is it a marketing problem? If they don't have that granularity of data, they can't then figure out, okay, what's the right strategy for me? Should I not be selling hats any longer? Should I just stay in, in a certain category? Having that data, I mean, as you know, as a strategist, if you're if you're building strategy with no data, you're just guessing. Right. And we got to take the guesswork out of this. What's great is that many of our customers have great instinct. They have great passion. We just have to take some of that guesswork out so they can actually tie to. Okay. And then once you have a strategy, how do you go back and you know, okay, inspect what you expected? Right. If I expected this new strategy was going to drive more revenue from a certain demographic, I'm going after, you know, women between 25 and 35. Well, let's go do that. And then let's go use the Springbot platform to see, am I actually seeing a lift in revenue in that segment? Mm -hmm. How often do you think your CEOs should be doing this kinds of, kind of review or analysis or dashboard? Like what's the frequency with which you, you, you advise that, that they should be having these kinds of thoughts or conversations with their management team? I, I think uh, I, I've always viewed a kind of a monthly dashboard that allows you to do the kind of that inspection you know, if you're doing strategy every day, then it's not strategy, it's management, right? right? And so I think that you have to take, there's that time where you need to step back. And I, I like to, you know, a lot of people will do that annual strategic planning exercise. And I think that's sometimes too late. Back, if I go back into my consulting days, it was something called dynamic strategic planning, which basically turned it into a quarterly planning session. Never really had a one, aha, here's my new strategy. It, it was a constant evolution of your strategy that I think is important to maybe look at, but once a quarter, at least two or three times a year. Mm -hmm. And what do you do at Springbot in that regard? Yeah, I mean, I think we're, we're in such a fast growth mode right now that, you know, we are probably, we're looking at it about every three months. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, a big thing that we do is a, a quarterly session with, with our entire team. All 60? No. All 60 folks. Wow. Yeah. That's a kind of talking about what's the direction going forward, a chance for Q&A. Many times we've already kind of, we already know some of the questions because it's such an open environment that, you know, the, the questions are constantly firing or the ideas, probably more importantly, the ideas are firing. Yeah, so I, I'd say about every quarter, we're kind of retooling our 
you know, the direction that we're going. And so it's never a dramatic, we're going to make a, the, the word that I hate the most is the, a big pivot, right? I think it's, <laughs> you know, the, this, this pivot idea, the concept that everyone's talking about is kind of like, a, I, I view more that you should take your business and continue to build on it, evolve it. Now, make decisions quickly if something's not working. I was going to say, if you're in the wrong direction, you need to you need to, to pivot. You, you need, need to, to need to move. Yeah. <laughs> I think some people just, you know, they're constantly pivoting. And I guess you just end up spinning in a circle if you're constantly pivoting. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, that's maybe it gets overused a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I think there's also an element of thinking strategically day to day. So you have to constantly feed those strategic decisions with data from the business. And so... Mm-hmm. At Springbot, there are television screens all up and down the walls, and they're feeding us with day-to-day information. So what are the conversion rates for Springbot customers? What's the database doing? What's the uh, sales team doing? And that kind of feeds and builds a gut sense, you know, a, an intuitive sense, so that when you go into that quarterly session, you have some data to rely on. You have some, some gut sense to pull from as you as a team start to discuss what to do next. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What you don't want is no one thinks about strategy for three months and then you hop in together, make a bunch of decisions and then start to go executing. Great. So as you think about the future of Springbot, 60 people want to get, you said double again. Um, what are some of the new excite- and exciting things that are happening at, at Springbot that you think our listeners might be interested to hear about? So one of the big things is um, the marketplace integration that we're doing. So Marketplace integration. So you think about Amazon.com. It's one of the big marketplaces. And if you're a small to medium-sized e-commerce store, you want to play in that marketplace. But doing so is very tricky to do. You can imagine you have a 1,000 products. You've built up that product catalog over three to four years, kind of crafting all the subjects and titles and descriptions and prices. It's very difficult to take that data and put it into a marketplace like Amazon. And so what Springbot does is we help you push all of your data up to Amazon in in a structured way. Um, And some of the stuff that's coming soon is uh, that a lot of the big companies are doing already uh, is around dynamic pricing and dynamic optimization of your Amazon listings. And so, for example, on on Amazon for a a certain pair of jeans, you certainly know that there are probably five or six people that are selling it. And they're competing based on the price of their shipping um, and the price of their product. And they're constantly moving them up and down and changing them for the weekend, but not for the weekdays. And so it's this, this thriving competitive matrix. And if you're a small business, it's very tough to keep up with all the changes across all your products. And so what Springbot's building is this dynamic pricing feature that'll help highlight moments where you can change your price up or down just a little bit to improve your sales. Um, that's becoming very uh, exciting and powerful for a lot of small to medium-sized businesses. Now, most of your, your thousand retailers, do they manufacture any of the product or no? Yeah, many of them do. Many of them have their own brand. Um, some of them have their own brand and they resell others. Um, some, they don't manufacture, but they label like, so kind of a white label relationship. Yeah. Great. Yeah. It's, it's a, a broad section of the retail market. Wonderful. Yeah. Another big area is personalization. So trying to get closer to that one-to-one marketing. So, you know, you mentioned before you throw a lot of your emails into the spam bucket. Um, <laughs> Sorry. We certainly want to help create uh, dynamic personalization where we can automatically figure out what you're interested in as a consumer and help the store kind of carve out half of that email to be dynamically generated by marketing robotics, by Springbots robots to, um, um, to connect with you a little bit better. Hmm. And how do you manage the content development for all of this wonderful email and content's tricky. It's, um, it's kind of art and science is how we think about it. So the store brings the art 
the passion, uh, the insight into the, the weaving of the genes, if you will. Um, and then Springbot brings the science. So a good example is um, uh, email subject lines. So there's kind of a whole science around how you craft that email subject line. Like, do you start it with re and then colon to make it look like somebody is replying to you? Um, do you use words that are more promotional? For some businesses, that works really well, like sale happening soon. For other businesses, it's more about um, design and product content. And so what Springbot does is we start with a, the seed from the store owner. We help them push that out to a very targeted segment. And then as Brooke said, we help, you, we help them measure the response rate and provide recommendations on how to tweak their subject lines moving forward. And so it always has to be this back and forth between the art and the science. And it takes some involvement with the store owner to figure out how much to move the pendulum each time. Right, so like you're, the open rate of an email is dictated by the subject line. The click-through rate is dictated by the offer in the email. Mm. And so if you're a retailer, you're not understanding that dynamic, and you're just looking at, say, I sent out a bunch of emails, I didn't make any revenue. Which one of those was it? Was it the offer, the click-through, or was it the subject line, you know, the, the open rate? Mm -hmm. And so that's where the, that, that math has to come in on kind of under, underlying the technology. Mm. Great. Well, this has been amazingly insightful. And if um, any of our listeners want to get in touch with you to hear more about anything they've heard today, how can they do that? Well, I think they go to our website. Uh, we're, we're hiring. So that's the first place to start. <laughs> so our career page, you can go to um, you know, springbot.com or you can email me at brobinson at springbot.com. Wonderful. Thanks so much for a great show. Thank you. Thank you. Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for CEO Exclusive, brought to you by Anona Enterprises.